0: We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening.
1: Welcome to Novel Feelings, where two psychologists
0: take a deep dive into your favorite books. I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. And welcome to episode two of season three. Back to a review episode. We haven't had one for a little while, not <laughs> since episode one. I'm glad my mum died. Uh, but today we are reviewing Tiger Daughter by Rebecca Lim. And I'm so excited to talk about this book. <gasps> Me
1: too. If last episode was your recommendation, this was the book that I have (laughs) been pushing to everyone to read. So I am very excited for
0: this conversation. And if you are interested, we do also have an interview with the author, Rebecca Lim, who kindly joined us for an interview not so long ago. So we have tagged that onto the end of this episode. I'll post the timestamp in the show notes if you do want to skip to that. So stay tuned. And in case you missed our last
1: episode go back and listen to it please (laughs) but here's what we're doing differently this season we are doing a read-along book club where we plan to release episodes every two months and we'll post discussion questions to instagram and twitter so that we can encourage some conversation in between episodes
0: yeah. And um, so of course, remember to follow us on social media to keep up to date with those at novel underscore feelings, wherever you find us. And we are also running a reading challenge, which is up on the story graph um, and Instagram too. If you do want to mm-hmm. just use the Instagram tiles that we've created. Uh, so it is a mental health book club theme challenge. We're including all of the six review books that we're covering in 2023, alongside some additional prompts so, if you want to diversify your reading this year in terms of mental health, that is a fantastic challenge to check out. Well, before we dive into our review, hey
1: Elise, hey. how would you rate? <laughs> how would you rate your week on a five point
0: scale? Pretty good week, actually. Uh, well, I'm, I'd give it a rating of about four out of five champagne toasts. So, we, my partner and I, uh, we had our anniversary celebration. Last weekend, eight years together, which is pretty cool. And uh, went to a winery and had a really lovely lunch. And it looks like we've decided on a wedding venue as well. So that's some news. I'm engaged. Uh, That's happened. Congratulations! (laughs) Thank you. That's something that's happened since the last time we recorded. (laughs) Yeah, Um, very exciting. How about you, Priscilla? How would you rate your week on a five point scale?
1: I would give it a three out of five. Cameras i am deep in fender research for my wedding as well what
0: you're getting married
1: to <laughs> surprise <laughs>
0: that's right we both got engaged not to each not, other yeah not to each other although i love you very much but yeah same to you same to you yeah um mm. yeah so we got Engaged to our separate partners within two weeks of each other back in (laughs) back in December last year so it has been a little while since we've recorded um Mm. but yes that was a very exciting time indeed next time you hear for us from us
1: hopefully it'll be five out of five wedding dresses
0: (laughs) we will see if we can post a little selfie or something to Instagram Mm. when we do go wedding dress shopping Um, because we are going together so that will be fun to see each other um try on some beautiful gowns (laughs) Absolutely. But to go back to what we're actually here for. (laughs) Back on track. Um, Yes. Yeah. So, just a reminder to please rate and review us. So, if you leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you a shout out next episode. And a big thank you to everyone who's left us five star reviews so far. We do have a few new ratings, but we do only have one new written review. So, we'll just uh, highlight that here.
1: Yeah. So, Dr. Shulan Moore is a GP bibliotherapist and an author and she gave us a five-star review thank
0: you (laughs) um
1: so just an excerpt from her review i have shared the episode about one of my favorite books about grief a monster calls on my facebook page byron bibliotherapy i feel so many people would benefit from the honesty of that book especially if they read it before an episode of loss
0: please check out dr shulan moore at Biblio. Thank you so much. And before we get started on our review, just a couple of disclaimers. Um, so we are a spoiler podcast, but one thing we are doing this year is that we are breaking our episodes into two parts. So we'll flag when we do go into the spoilery bits later in the episode, non-spoiler content and overall reviews will come up first. Also, this podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. And we're speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily as people with lived experience of some of the themes that are covered in this book. Our voices are limited this way, but if you do have lived experience, please do let us know what you think of this book. If you haven't heard of
1: Rebecca Lim before, let us tell you a little bit about her. So Rebecca Lim is an Australian writer, illustrator, editor, and lawyer. She's amazing. (laughs) She does so many different things. She is the award-winning author of over. 20 books, including The Astrologer's Daughter and the best-selling Mercy series. Rebecca is a co-founder of the Voices from the Intersection initiative to support emerging young adult and children's authors and illustrators who are First Nations, people of color, LGBTIQA+, or living with disability. She is a co-editor of Meet Me at the Intersection, a groundbreaking anthology of YA on voice memoir, poetry, and fiction.
0: And a little bit more about Tiger Daughter, her book that we are covering today. So Wen Zhao is determined to create a future for herself that is more satisfying than the life her parents expect her to lead. Wen is the daughter and only child of Chinese immigrants whose move to the lucky country has proven to be not so lucky. Wen and her friend Henry Zhao whose mum and dad are also struggling immigrants, both dream of escape from their unhappy circumstances and form a plan to sit an entrance exam to a selective high school far from home. But when tragedy strikes, it will take all of one's resilience and resourcefulness to get herself and Henry through the storm that follows. So why did we choose this book?
1: Well, like I said at the start of this this episode this is the book that I've pushed on Mm -hmm. to everyone to read (laughs) um I can't remember exactly how I found it but I imagine it was the title that first caught my eye like tiger mom is such a loaded term I would say Mm -hmm. and I thought tiger daughter as a title was Mm -hmm. a curious twist on that But anyway, I borrowed it from the library and read it in one sitting that night. I loved it so much and just couldn't put it down. Um, Aside from the quality of the story, I think it's also important for us to highlight a middle grade book about immigrants.
0: Yeah, well, I'm really glad you recommended this. Um, Such an interesting discussion coming up. Some of the topics that we're covering today include grief and the ripple effect of suicide. Just a note that we won't go into details around the book's depiction of suicide itself, like the methods, but we will be talking about it more broadly. We're also talking about the Asian diaspora in Australia, community attitudes and stigma around mental health, in particular around depression and suicide, and touching on topics like domestic violence, racism, and misogyny. We will start part one now with our non-spoiler discussion and review first.
1: To open our conversation, Rebecca Lim has talked about how she wrote this book partly or mostly due to disappointment that the reading list for high schools has not diversified over the last few years. So, my question to you, Elise, is like, what sort of books did you read in high school?
0: Good question. It was a while ago now, uh, so my memory's <laughs> mm-hmm. a little fuzzy. Um, in the upper years of high school, I remember covering Jane Eyre. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, The Crucible, Antigone, uh, like the Sophocles plays. We covered a few, I suppose, quote unquote, classics, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, (laughs) classics in the Western (laughs) tradition, I suppose. And we did have a range of, I suppose, middle grade books over the years, um, but mostly books written by Australian authors as well. But in retrospect, it was very white (laughs) and it was very middle class. (laughs) Yeah, not a lot of diversity.
1: How about yourself? Well, I went to high school in Indonesia, so we did not read Western classics. Mm -hmm. Try and think. When I was in high school, English was very much about grammar and like actual ability to speak English, and the Indonesian classes were also the same in terms of its focus on grammar. But we did read some poetry and um, short stories from Indonesian literary writers Mm. yeah we didn't have library time the way kids here do these days so yeah it was all the nerd the nerds I think who went to the libraries (laughs) for fun um yeah so I guess it's understandable why Rebecca felt compelled to write this sort of book because given the Australian population where what was it? Almost fifty percent of the population was born overseas. Was that? Is that what came out in the last census?
0: I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's pretty yeah. high the percentage of Australians who were born overseas or have a parent born overseas. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, given that, it's interesting slash disappointing if publishing hasn't kept up.
0: Absolutely. The title of this is, of course, Tiger Daughter. So what comes to mind for you when you hear the term Tiger Daughter? I guess to me, a
1: tiger mom is a Mm. phrase that signifies an incredibly strict parent who demands high levels of academic success from their children. Um, I guess in my head, it immediately conjures up an Asian mom, an East Asian mom, I guess, especially, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. who like... Sends sends her kids to private schools that are highly academically achieving, you know, puts her children into piano lessons right after uh, school and Chinese school or language school on the weekends. So when I first heard of Tiger Daughter, the first thing I assumed was that it's about an Asian girl. What about you? What did the term Tiger Daughter conjure up for you?
0: Uh, pretty much the same, you know, having heard of the tiger mum archetype before. So mm. I don't know. I, I was curious, like, was this tiger daughter going to be the equivalent of a tiger mum or was she going to be contradicting a tiger mum or challenging? And, in fact, it's not really quite either of those. It's, mm. uh, you know, I guess it's more about her own tenacity um, and how forthright she is in doing what she believes is important as the story goes on. Yeah, her own fierceness, I guess, in that way. Yes. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. Anyway, we should talk a little bit more about the book itself. So this book covers the story of Wen and Henry, um, two close friends who are ooh, how old are they? Thirteen or fourteen is the story about goes along that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, young younger teenagers. So this is a middle grade book that we are covering today. And as we mentioned in the synopsis at the start. Uh, we're meeting these characters at a challenging time in their lives where they're looking at um, going into an entrance exam to potentially get into a more selective high school. Both are from, I guess, a disadvantaged socioeconomic background. Um, Yeah. Neither family is exactly wealthy, Uh, so this would be a very big deal for both of them if they were to get in and also a bit isolated from some of their other peers at school as well. So their friendship is quite close.
1: Worth noting that Henry particularly is a bit more isolated because Mm. he's newly arrived to Australia or more recently so than when and his English isn't the best, I suppose, when we first meet him in the story.
0: Mm. Yeah, he's not a very confident English speaker. Mm.
1: And his family, even though both families are disadvantaged, Henry's family is particularly poor and there's a bit of stigma attached to his family because of his mom's mental health difficulties.
0: Mm, yes, and uh, we won't we won't go into too much detail at the moment until we get into the spoilers section. But mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, an important theme in this book is the tragedy, which is a suicide of an important figure within the community that happens reasonably early on in the story um and the ripple effect that occurs in response to that depth it covers uh, it's such a tragic thing that happens and I know I was pretty teary when I was reading about some of this I also had the experience of reading the book quite quick quite quickly when I picked yeah. it up not in one sitting but within 24 yeah. hours which is rare for me
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh yeah just like the this really hit me in the feels um to yeah. put it lightly
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when you read the blurb and then you start reading it, well, at at least for me, I kind of guessed where it was going. But when
0: the tragedy actually struck, it was still, it still created such an emotional response. Mm -hmm. I knew that this was a book that was going to be about suicide in some capacity, but I didn't know who it was who was Mm -hmm. going to die. So I wasn't necessarily surprised by it, but I... I didn't know who, yeah, I didn't know who it would be. So yeah. I was kind of gripped in that sense of trying to figure out like what's what's actually going to happen and, oh, it's going to mm-hmm. affect these young people so much and I want to mm-hmm. give them a hug and I can't. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think what I found most
1: interesting about the portrayal of the ripple effect is the, the stigma, mm. which I think is particularly relevant to the... I don't want to say Asian cultures because obviously we're not a mon- monolith, but no. particularly to women in Henry's um, community where there's still not a whole lot of understanding or compassion around mental health difficulty. Suicide brings a lot of shame to the family. And instead of support, the community might pull away from them.
0: Yeah, and the, the sense that the, the figure who dies is seen as being a bad parent, um, mm-hmm. is seen as being weak as well. And I suppose the, the community responded initially at least, you know, getting a sense that they weren't going to rally around mm-hmm. <laughs> poor Henry and his father. They, they wanted to avoid the topic. Mm-hmm.
1: Tangent, but I'm reading Alfie Scott's book, The One Thing We Don't Talk About, and it just popped into my head that there's a lot of silence around what happened initially. Yes. And that reinforces the sigma, like Elfie talks about in her book.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Though, uh, again, we won't go into too much detail just yet, <laughs> but one of the great things in this story is the sense of community that does eventually come together and what that might look like when you are more, I guess, accepting and empathetic and mm-hmm. reaching out around someone's experience of grief rather than avoiding and what a positive impact that can have. Um, and that I guess is where the tiger daughter thing comes in and how, uh, when is really, when's really, um, motivated by a sense of injustice that's happening, mm-hmm. um, around this community response to suicide. So yeah, using her, her fierceness yeah. <laughs> and her, her strong belief of right and wrong to, make a positive difference. And I really loved that. That was such a lovely character arc that we see her going through.
1: Yeah, great. Another big theme of this book is gender roles, essentially, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how domestic abuse and unhealthy family dynamics can transpire on the basis of really rigid gender roles. I'm totally in awe about how this book which obviously happens in middle grade and young adult. But there's just so much, you know, this book tackles such big topics that are difficult for adults to read and discuss, and it does it so
0: beautifully. Mm, and sensitively as well. Mm. You see a lot of empathy for multiple characters, even those who might be holding up institutions or structures or values that. Mm-hmm when, and by extension, the reader don't agree with necessarily. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it does that.
1: It does a wonderful job explaining how that person comes about their beliefs or why mm-hmm. they they're doing these things, but not excusing that person's actions.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, we see depictions in this story of verbal abuse, emotional abuse and financial abuse, um, mm. I can't recall if there's an instance of physical abuse as well but I feel like there was a physical threat.
1: Yeah. Uh, even if so there I wasn't an
0: actual yeah.
1: Yeah, there are things like thrown, I'm pretty sure. I think yeah, coercive right. con- yeah, coercive control is the word that comes to mind when I think about the things that happen in this book and the fear that it creates and you know, you don't always you don't need physical abuse for something to be violent.
0: Yes. And that's, um, you know, holding up and being reinforced by the traditional gender roles that we see in some of these households Mm -hmm. depicted in the story as well. So the mother's role, the expectations that are placed upon her and the father's role too. So, yeah. And then intersecting with that as well, we have um, another key theme, which is around the immigrant experience too.
1: Yeah. So there's the model minority myth that I think affects Asians In particular, Mm -hmm. if you've never heard of the term model minority before, I'm going to try and explain it (laughs) in the best way that I can. Essentially, it's that you're part of a minority and you're seen as the good minority. You know, Asians are seen as submissive and quiet and we keep our heads down and we get the work done and we don't cause trouble. And... That's why we're okay and accepted, which is actually not a good thing at all. That can be really harmful. Like, for one, you know, the impact of that on other minority groups is quite negative. And it also is bad for the people who are seen as the model minority because, you know, we can be treated badly because we're seen as we'll just accept whatever we're given. And there's a lot of you know, let's not rock the boat or, you know, let's not, you know, be angry. Let's not point out injustice or unfairness. And I think we see quite a bit of that in this book about how um, some characters are expected to just keep their heads down and keep going regardless of what treatment they're receiving from the wider society.
0: Yes, definitely. And Yeah, we see, of course, a range of difficulties that uh, both families have experienced as well when it comes to um, the immigrant experience. So Wen's father, who I believe was a qualified medical doctor, who Mm. couldn't, his, his qualifications were not acknowledged or not transferable.
1: He was supposed to be a surgeon, but then he kept failing the medical tests in Australia and he could be, he could be, a qualified medical professional in some other capacity Mm. but not a surgeon there's the isolation as well that immigrants experience due to language barriers Mm -hmm. financial struggles which is you know can be tied into that lack of acknowledgement of their qualifications and of course racism
0: yes absolutely
1: (laughs) Yeah, those are some of the big themes mm. of this book, but there are a few others that are notable as well, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the um, idea of friendship and loyalty, uh, When and Henry have such a beautiful friendship in this story, um, which I mm-hmm. really loved. Platonic male-female yeah. relationship as well, which I do like. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, finding community, um, building your own community as well around your own Values, I think, is a very important theme in this story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, what's your star rating, Elise? What's your overall feeling of this book?
0: I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. Like I said, I read this really quickly, which is rare for me these days, which indicates just how much I found it to be really gripping and emotional. Um, My only issue with it, which is a really small issue, is I would have loved a little bit more expansion I guess around the ending we can touch on that more later yeah. um but I do recognize it's a middle grade book so you know we can't necessarily have war and peace length <laughs> <laughs> complex ending to everything yeah. but um I just thought it, yeah it was a really beautiful story it handled it seems really well um yeah. yeah and I do hope this ends up on some more reading curriculums how about yourself <laughs> this is a five out
1: of five stars read mm. for me like I said I told multiple people to read it um and I read it in one sitting just literally did not move from the couch no. <laughs> um I think to borrow the message that you sent me after you read this was that it's a really good book but really sad as well yes. it's it is very confronting in parts not in a bad way it's just because of the themes
0: that it covers, some things are just really sad to read and quite scary, I think. You can't have a lighthearted book around these themes. Absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. difficult to do so.
2: Yeah. So understandable.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe not a beach read. Um. No.
1: <laughs> no, but it's also not a, a book that you need to mentally prepare for. You know? But yes, I agree with you on the ending,
0: I think. But... Yeah. Minor issues. In, yeah, very it's minor. a minor issue, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, very positive review from us. Let's dive into the spoilers now and talk about some of those things we were alluding to but not mentioning explicitly before. The first thing we want to talk about in a bit more detail is the book's depiction of suicide and Henry's mother, um, of course, as mm. the person who does take her own life in this story.
1: Oh, it's so tragic. It's so sad. (laughs) Henry's mother's experience of depression is really fascinating, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but it's a good depiction of how mental health issues and culture, cultural beliefs around mental health intersect because she's so isolated. You know, she doesn't speak English. She doesn't have friends. And by the nature of depression, she you know, she's not motivated to reach out and
0: be part of Mm. this community. Just the lack of it, like a support network beyond Mm. her very immediate family. Um, Yeah. I can see why, yeah, that lack of connection would be contributing to and a result of her depression.
1: Well, you know, I guess immigrants give up a lot to migrate you know they leave behind their families and everything they know to come to a place where you know they should be able to improve their lot in life i guess but that's really not the case for a lot of people and we can see you know for henry's mom poverty likely contributes well not just likely i'm you know i'm sure poverty is a huge part of poor mental health like how are you how can you not be depressed if you don't know where your next meal is coming from
0: yeah and you know we obviously need to be really thinking about like all the environmental factors that contribute towards depression as well because we I don't know in psychology we obviously tend to focus a lot on individual thought processes and Mm. the responsibility of the individual to look after their own mental health and to think their way out of depression and suicidality and so on at a surface level that's what seems to be Mm -hmm. the messaging a lot of the time and you can't think your way out of poverty no and this feels particularly relevant right now with
1: you know the threat of recession and what the sixth if uh rates rise in the last few months, I worry we're going to see a lot more mental health issues coming out of this.
0: Unfortunately, yes, it's most likely to happen.
1: The community response is a big part of the story, and we see the contrast between one's desire to support Henry and her parents' desire to stay away. And it's kind of harsh, but realistic, I think, is especially when mom's initial response to the suicide, the way she was like saying that Henry's mom's a failure, essentially that, you know, she was a bad mom and now she's worse because she's left her family. And it's like, you know, there's a part of me that was like, how could you say that? There's another part of me that's like, yeah, I can see that happening in, you know, my
0: community as well. But, of course, that's contrasted to Wen's desire to support Henry and the active steps Mm. that she takes to reach out to him and his family as well. Uh, Under, (laughs) she doesn't have the support of her mother in this and she doesn't have the knowledge, let alone the support of her father in this as well. But I just really liked the journey that we see with how forthright she is about you know, even little, seemingly little things like taking him food, taking him as homework and writing notes to him on his homework when mm. he can't even show his face to her. Like the grief is, his experience yeah. of grief is so intense, um, understandably, that all of this is happening with a door between them, um, mm. either a closed door or a fly door. Yeah. <laughs> and her persistence I thought was really great. So even though she's not getting, I suppose, the instant gratification of helping a friend, and she's not getting support from her mother, who is, you know, mm. eventually does allow more of this to happen. Um, does sort of see things from Wen's perspective, but how how she persisted with what she felt was right. Um, yeah, I really I really liked that, and seeing Wen's mother's character arc as well, mm-hmm. and how she started to come around to this too as well as the her own, I guess, transformation that she experiences as, as the story goes on.
1: It was so lovely to see how Wen's persistence wrapped off on her mum and that her mum started wanting to help as well and starting to come out of the fear that has ruled her life, essentially, since she
0: became married to Wen's father. Mm. And you yeah, we see as the story progresses that she starts to not necessarily disobey but I guess start to untangle some of the strict expectations that are placed upon her, like starting to push mm-hmm. back, um, whether it's, you know, cooking fewer meals than expected yeah. of her. the oh meals my still sounded so much more elaborate than what <laughs> I, I would have on an <laughs> average night, but
2: yeah. my goodness,
0: um, using her chosen english name which mm. you know that's not to say people have to use an english name but it seemed like it was her her, her preference and something that she hadn't been able to use um yeah herself.
1: wearing comfortable clothes yeah. as well and not having to dress to the nines and it's so lovely that she finally became more of a part of the community mm. herself because she was also very isolated because her life yeah. was
0: all about obeying her husband
1: really yes
0: yeah and taking on the role at the pharmacy as well and having that connection with not just her her boss or her colleagues but also the people who come in who she has a unique ability to you know communicate with many members of the community who come into the pharmacy and such a valuable asset to have there and something like that that can give her more of a sense of I was gonna say purpose I feel like her her work You know, I don't want to dismiss the importance of being a full-time parent and and looking Mm -hmm. after a family and the satisfaction that you can get from that, but she seemed to be missing something, and that was perhaps giving her more more of a sense of purpose than what she had originally.
1: And autonomy, I would say, because, you know, it's hard hard to find. I imagine it would be hard to find purpose in something where your role is defined so strictly Mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to assert any control or choice in that role
0: which is what happened to Wen's mum as a full-time wife and mum and of course her father Wen's father is the figure we were talking about earlier who is in that strict head of the household role who is sadly the instigator of a lot of abuse um and just a really the dangerous dynamic that's going on in that household, which is really horrible to read. And I've just got such a sense of one's fear um, and the mother's fear as
1: Mm. well. Yeah. There's that whole chapter called the fear. And then another chapter called the rage that I think encapsulated those feelings really vividly. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, we I mentioned before about how this book shows how patriarchy fails everyone. And I was saying that in reference to one's father, because he, he's he has these beliefs that a man has to be a certain way. And since he migrated to Australia, he wasn't able to do that. Like he wasn't able to be this well-respected, wealthy surgeon. So he refuses to do anything medically related and chosen to do what he feels is a degrading job as a waiter in a Chinese restaurant. And he feels, it's almost like he's so, he can't be what he believes he should be. And he becomes rather, he shows some sign of depression as well. Like one mm. talks about how he can't get out of bed, but he's so angry
0: because he can't
1: fulfill what he thinks he should be.
0: Yeah, that kind of externalizing symptoms of depression that he's, you know, taking that all out on his family and, Mm. you know, the, I do wonder if it's a sense of, you know, he doesn't have much control over his own career or he's Mm -hmm. lost a lot of control over his own career. So he controls his family.
1: Mm, Absolutely. And again, it's this interesting intersection between that and the very specific cultural beliefs or... Mm
0: -hmm teachings i guess that he holds on to and look we he does let up a little bit Mm -hmm. as the story goes on um he doesn't i don't wouldn't say he has a full redemption arc which i think would have been Mm. unrealistic if he had completely changed he does i suppose start to release some control um -hmm. he starts to have a bit more respect for Wen's mother's autonomy and her choices yeah reluctantly he, at first yeah.
1: he extended a hand towards henry's dad as well and offered to help uh, him with some work which is a big thing yeah and yeah like you said we we can't really expect a full redemption arc but and even that like we sort of hinted about earlier in our star rating we felt this arc is almost a little too neat at the end but yeah, I accept, again, like we talked about before, this mm. is not fully perhaps the genre to explore the complexity.
0: Yeah. And we do have a lot of complexity in the story already. Already. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's not impossible that he had that much of a change of heart. I guess just, yeah. you know, my knowledge of how ingrained um, some of these beliefs and behaviors might be. Does make me question if it would happen to that degree that see that much change in yeah. that time frame in real life. But I'm not upset about it. <laughs> yes. I <laughs> Yeah. I, I want there to be a note of hope at the end of the story.
1: Yeah, and it's entirely possible that he's, as you say, let go of some control in this aspect, but we don't see beyond that ending
0: because it kind of, it does come to like a climax as well, where things get really bad. And then, you know, that I suppose was his rock bottom, um, and a turning point for him to start to see things shift around. So sometimes people do have a dramatic change in attitude after getting to that point, um, that extreme. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. My, my criticism of it is, Fairly minor.
1: (laughs) Yes, agreed.
0: (laughs) Yes. Should we uh, quickly talk about our favourite moments before we wrap up? Yes, absolutely. So I guess for me,
1: the chapter that introduces us to Wynne's father's rage and the fear that she and her mum experienced because Mm. of that rage, those were my favourite moments and... I also really loved the moment when one's mom decided to ride in the ambulance with an elderly lady who needed her help. I think it's fair to say that went against direct order from one's dad, it
0: did which yes. she would never have done before. That was a good demonstration of how far she'd come as a character. Mm. What
1: about you, Elise? What are some of your favorite moments?
0: Yeah, well, there was a line that I really liked, Yeah, my psych nerd side coming through a bit, I guess, but... Uh, perhaps, I think it might have been in one of those chapters you mentioned, um, the line, like Pavlov's poor dog, I step back at the side of him when when's father appears through the screen door in a particularly frightening moment. I thought that was a good depiction of just how ingrained and automatic her fear response was to her father. On a lighter note, I did really like uh, the homework drop-offs to Henry that happened, so the notes that they shared and when purposefully messing up the long division to try to, I don't know, always get a rise out of him to get that response. So I just thought that was very sweet. Yeah. It's a lovely
1: book overall. It really is.
0: All right. Now we have finished our pretty glowing review. Um, We have a few discussion questions for listeners and we'll briefly mention some of the things going up on our website before we get into our interview.
1: Yes. So first of all, What did you think of Wen as a character? Was there anything about her personality that you really liked or disliked?
0: What are your thoughts on Wen's father's character arc? And how different do you think he would be if he had not migrated to Australia?
1: Here's a quote from Rebecca Lim. Tiger Daughter asks readers, readers who have never been told go back to where you come from and never will, to think about what it would be like to be marginalized for more reasons than being female. How has the book impacted your thoughts or knowledge on this topic?
0: Have you ever been part of a community rallying together to support someone going through a tough time? And if so, what was your experience? And lastly, what
1: types of books should be on primary or secondary school reading lists?
0: All right, so if you have some answers to those questions, please do let us know because we would love to hear your thoughts just briefly we have some resources that will be going up on our website too if you're interested some of the resources we
1: will link to include a link to standby and lifeline for information about assisting people who are bereaved or impacted by suicide and some information about what cursive control looks like as well from relationships australia victoria
0: And now it's time to mention what our next book is that we'll be covering for a review. So this is our book for May and we will be covering Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. This was my suggestion um, as a book that I read last year. And look, I won't tell you too much about it now, but let's just say I, it it really, yeah, I really liked it. There was, it, it was unexpected, some parts of it. I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion with this book. I will just briefly read the synopsis. So Queenie Jenkins is a 25-year-old Jamaican British woman living in London, straddling two cultures and sloshing neatly into neither. She works at a national newspaper where she's constantly forced to compare herself to her white middle-class peers. After a messy breakup from her longtime white boyfriend, Queenie seeks comfort in all the wrong places including several hazardous men who do a good job of occupying brain space and a bad job of affirming self-worth. As Queenie careens from one questionable decision to another, she finds herself wondering, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who do you want to be? All of the questions today's women must face in a world trying to answer them for her. This book is kind of advertised as being something like Bridget Jones or a kind of light-hearted rom-com. Just a note, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> it actually does get pretty deep into some pretty intense stuff. Um, we will talk about it more and provide content notes as we go up, but just don't go into it expecting Bridget Jones. I will say. No, that much.
1: I have heard that as that warning before as well. That's why I think that book's been on my shelf for two years, and I'm always like, yeah. "Not, not yet."
0: <laughs> I think you'll like it.
1: Yeah, but again, it's not. It's just not a rom com. Cool. Well, I look forward to reading it and I hope you guys will join us for that episode.
0: Mm. So that wraps us up for today. Uh, We do have our interview with Rebecca Lim coming up very soon. Hey guys, my name's Abby and I co-host the Book Life podcast with my best friend Mo.
1: We cover fantasy, sci-fi and historical fiction books and talk book related topics like our favorite character types, world building and books versus their movies.
2: New episodes drop every Monday on your favorite platform. Now, back to your show.
1: Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.
0: Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to hearing more about Tiger Daughter, your writing process and your approach to this work. Um, Such a pleasure to have you here today.
2: How are you going? Good, and it's such an honor to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. And congratulations on the critical acclaim that you've received for Tiger Daughter. Thank you. We are curious, how would you describe your readers' reaction to Tiger Daughter?
2: It's really interesting, actually, because I've had um, some readers just say, you know, I've never seen, you know, my kind of story portrayed like this before. And, you know, there's been a lot of like tears, I guess, and people sort of recognizing elements of their lives in it. But then I've also had, it's quite interesting, a lot of Asian readers have said, oh, I think this is stereotyping because my parents are the most indulgent parents in the world and none of this would ever happen to me. So it's been a real spectrum of, of responses, I think.
1: That's interesting. Sometimes I think we have so little representation that when one book comes out with that representation, it's expected to do quite a lot.
2: I know, it's expected to cover everybody and it just can't. So like I remember I went to a school recently and the teacher warned me that one of the students there wanted to fight me. She was quite angry about the portrayal because she said, you're making all Asian dads seem crazy. And I actually said to the students when I got there, like she didn't actually want to ask me the question herself. So she ended up having a teacher ask it. But I just said, you know, this is just one story. Elements of it are my story. And so some of the things in that book actually did happen to me. So, you know, you're very lucky that maybe you've had a really kind of generous upbringing, but you know, it's just one story and there's many, many stories and go write one if you think this one isn't representative.
0: Expanding on that, do you feel pressure to have the perfect representation or
2: to, to represent all experiences in your work? I just don't think anyone can. And so I actually think works are more powerful when they come from, you know, your particular lived experience and you don't necessarily try to make them universal and try to fit, you know, everyone into the same mould as you. You know, things like gaslighting or coercive control, financial abuse, people have seen elements of that in their own lives. So you don't have to be from the exact same cultural background as the protagonist to actually sort of understand where elements of the story are coming from. So I never try to write universal things because I think that's sort of setting yourself up for failure and also just making something very bland because, Mm -hmm. you know, not sort of speaking about your own experiences just makes the the whole thing a bit, I mean, you know, like who who are you pitching it to? What are you trying to say? It sort of doesn't have real authenticity. So I don't try to make things general. I try to make them quite specific.
0: So speaking of, I guess, the the parents and the story. We understand that Tiger Daughter, the obviously the title of the novel is a reference to the term tiger mother.
2: We're curious what does that title mean to you? It was quite deliberate that choice. I mean a lot of people have probably noticed that it's kind of that play on words because I think you know, at the time I was reading it, I, I might have sort of like remembered Amy Chua's um, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother and I had a tiger parent type upbringing where, you know, we did do the three musical instruments and all that kind of thing and we had sort of extra extra Chinese school um, when we were little kids. So taking all those elements together and sort of seeing the pressure at my daughter's school, because my daughter's school is actually um, predominantly Asian and South Asian, just seeing all the stuff that happens with kids that go through these really Um, I mean, I wouldn't say they're abusive, but they're really controlled upbringings and and how they kind of, you know, they come out of it either really broken or they come out really strong. And so I wanted to take that notion of, you know, the negative notion of the tiger parent and make it something positive and actually reflect the journey of the children who come through that kind of upbringing.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I can relate to that element of, I wouldn't call my parents tiger parents, but um, when I was in high school, I did have to go to like, t- extra tutoring until
2: mm-hmm. ten o'clock at night. Wow, that, that's <laughs> pretty, that's quite extreme. Because like, like you know, when I went to Chinese school for a few years, it was like the Saturday morning thing that took a few hours. But it wasn't you know maths and science. It was like you know more Chinese language and culture. But I know mm-hmm. lots of kids. Like my daughter had a birthday party once when she was about nine or ten years old. And there were 16 kids there and and just before the cake came out, nine of them vanished because they had to go to, you know, like a tutoring school and that was it. Like she had six girls left to sing the birthday song. So, you know, like seeing all that kind of stuff happening and, you know, mothers who are like, like I'm an Australian-born Chinese mother so I can't handle the tutoring pressure that's going on so I'm going to take my daughter out of this school and put her somewhere more relaxed. There's Mm. all that stuff happening in my daughter's life. So I just kind of wanted to reflect that, you know, one, the Asian experience isn't monolithic There's like, you know, various spectrums of how kids are raised. But, you know, I just really wanted to critique that whole, you know, the Confucian thing where the kids have to sort of like obey the parents and they're like the property of the parents and they have to do what they're told and there's not a lot of room for agency. I just really wanted to look at that a little bit harder.
1: Sort of expanding on what we've talked about before, we were struck by how one used her rage and sense of injustice to challenge the beliefs of the adults around her. What do you think about the
2: role of anger in driving positive change? I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like anger is a massive motivating force for change. Like I think the angry woman is a massive, you know, force for change in society because things don't get done unless an angry woman is behind it generally. So, I mean, for me, the the Genesis story for this book, which you've probably heard about now, is that I went to my daughter's um, parent-teacher interview and she was given a tailored book list that was supposedly tailored for her. And she looks just like me, um, the top three books on that list were from you know the you know 1930s, the 1970s, and the 1985, and they were the same books that I was reading at that same school at the same age. So 30 years had gone by, and the same books were on the book list. And so for me, I was so furious about it because I thought, have a look at your students. You know, it's really important still to read the canon and to understand Picnic at Hanging Rock and you know all the places that we came from and colonialism, all that kind of thing. But you know, for it not to have changed in 30 years at the same school that I went to was a really big kick up the bum for me. So I kind of went home, like I steamed home furiously and said to my daughter, I'm going to write a book for you guys. And even if it doesn't get published, at least I've done it. Mm. And so that was kind of the response. It was like a really visceral response to her book list.
0: I think that really demonstrates how
2: we can use anger for social good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like in a sort of clean and furious and kind of, you know, change making way rather than just railing about it and doing nothing. I just kind of thought, you know, if there's not enough representation on her book list, the people who notice that have to do something about it.
1: And I think that sort of anger is very different from the anger that Wim's dad experiences in your book as well, that he is so angry about the hand that he's been dealt or the things that he's had
2: to go through, but he doesn't do anything. And it's to- paralyzing. Yeah, it's yeah. quite paralyzing. And so, I mean, I tried to make him, he does seem like the baddie. And so that's why like a lot of Chinese kids in particular go, well, my father's not like that. So that's just her stereotyping people again. But for me, like I tried to make it quite nuanced because, you know, for most immigrant and refugee families, the father is locked into position, right? He doesn't have a lot of options if his degree isn't recognised here or he fails at his work or he can't bring money home, they literally don't eat. And so like what I was trying to say was you understand why he's angry and you understand why he's sort of all choked up and he, and he can't kind of like deal with things in a in a sort of like really reasonable way and he brings it out on his family because where else is the unkindness going to go? He's got no other control. But I also wanted to show that, you know, that kind of, as you say, toxic masculinity doesn't just occur in you know well brought up Australian families with money it happens everywhere
0: yeah he was a fascinating character although obviously very difficult to read about at times and I think it just really demonstrates the good that good side of anger and the negative or harmful side of anger as well so it was a it it was an interesting experience I guess the parallels between those two characters and their very
2: intense emotional experiences he's got a tiny kingdom and he basically you know Mm -hmm. just rules that with an iron fist so it's that kind of thing like she takes her anger and she thinks I'm going to use it to help people and even if I get in trouble for it or it impacts me it doesn't matter because people are in need so yeah Mm -hmm. I tried to show sort of all of the elements of a household that's really sort of suffocated by anger but you can use it in different ways.
0: Hmm. And uh, you know, speaking of that friendship, of course, that's really central in the story. We were really struck by the, the touching and loyal friendship between Wen and Henry in this book. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired their friendship?
2: Sure. Um, I I used to write sort of mostly um young adult novels, and so. You know, there are often many tropes in young adult novels where there's always going to be sort of the good boy and the bad boy and the love interest who's a female who doesn't realize that she's startlingly beautiful, but is in fact, you know, (laughs) masquerading as an ordinary person. So, like, I often play with those tropes when I write for YA, and it really frustrates me how there always has to be a romance almost in a YA novel. Now, with um, this kind of like middle grade and lower sort of YA kind of age group, I thought, let's not make it about romance, like let's make it about social issues, let's make it about the fact that, you know, not all Asian people, even if they're from the same country, are the same. So Henry's sort of like language group is different from one's language group, but they've got commonalities. And so like, you know, for me, I just wanted to really show you can have a friendship between people of two different genders. It does happen in real life and it doesn't have to be loaded with romance and it doesn't have any other element other than support. And so that's kind of what I tried to do with that friendship.
0: Obviously a large theme within this book is uh, Henry's mother and her struggle with depression um, at the beginning of the story and her suicide being a major event in the plot. We would like to talk about these themes uh, a little bit more if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, So I guess the first question we have is how did you approach writing depression and suicide in this book?
2: Um, it was kind of tricky because, um, I mean, I, I know of you know community stories where this has actually happened and so obviously it hasn't happened in my family but, you know, you kind of need to write about it sensitively because sometimes like in, you know, refugee or migrant families, there's, there's like almost no, I guess, way out for some people and so in terms of their mental health, like, as, you, as you've sort of spoken to me before in the past, like the father deals with his mental health issues in a particular way, for example, by taking to his bed and not coming out for days and days, whereas Henry's mother, I guess, doesn't see any way out and sort of takes a more drastic course. Um, and what I wanted, again, to show was that, you know, things like suicide and depression, they don't just happen to, um, you know, wealthy people or, or white people. They happen to everybody. And so, you know, it's sort of almost... Um, in a situation where you've got no money, you've got no hope, you've got no language, um, you know that kind of that kind of outcome is actually a realistic outcome. And I, I kind of wanted to say that you know that whole idea of the model minority, where you know good Asian families or good migrant families put their heads down and work and they keep out of trouble, when they you know they're all they're all just beavering away in the shadows, and you know obviously there's nothing sort of dramatic going on for them. What I tried to show was it actually still does happen to them, but they've sort of even got less methods of trying to deal with depression and and things like that because they've got sort of no outlet. So a lot of migrant and refugee women, for example, if they don't speak English, they've got no outside networks. They can't just pick up the phone and ring a counsellor. They can't pick up the phone and speak to a government worker. They've just got no way to actually communicate their thoughts and feelings to people. And so this was kind of a fictionalised sort of, like the worst case scenario for a family where the woman feels so isolated and so powerless and, you know, so hopeless that this is the only option. And interestingly, I had a bit of a fight, like I ordinarily don't fight changes with my editors and publishers, but they were very strong on, I think the um, the scene where I guess Henry sees his mother would have been a little bit more dramatic or a little bit more sort of detailed if I'd had my way. But because my publishers were saying this is kind of a tricky age group. You have to pull back on the detail a bit. So we kind of went back and forth for a few weeks about how much I could actually say. So this is where we settled.
1: Yeah, I did wonder whether um, having this audience in mind affect the way you write or approach this subject. So I think, yeah, I actually could picture it quite well, that devastating scene where Henry sees his mother without it being put on the page so explicitly, so I think you've done a great That's job. That's great. There. So I think my my, pub,
2: my publisher probably insisted correctly in that case because I think I probably would have put in slightly more detail than that, and they kind of said it's implied enough without you having to go into you know the mm. necessary gory detail. So yeah, it's, it's kind of tricky to write about, but I just wanted to say you know this stuff happens, and mm-hmm. I want kids to see that you know even after something like this happens in someone's life, you can come back from it.
1: We were also wondering if the comparison between uh, Henry's mother's mental health issues and one's father's uh, mental health difficulties
2: were deliberate in any way? Um, They were a little bit deliberate in the sense that, um, yeah, I just wanted to show that I guess a, a female may have less outlet for, you know, actually recovering from something like that. And I guess with, I mean, I've seen this in my own family, like, you know, where people haven't sort of been treated kindly or they haven't sort of had the professional outcome they've wanted or something. It's actually driven them to like, you know, despair um, so badly that they've actually just taken to their beds and not, you know, emerged for days and days and, you know, not showering, not eating, all that kind of stuff. That that actually does happen. And so um, I think it's kind of, not that it's easier for a man to get out of depression, but I guess he has more support he can kind of say to his wife, go heat me up some food. You know, he's got people who can sort of jolly him back into the world. But someone like Henry's mother who really literally has, you know, no resources, no company, um, nothing to really kind of like bring her back into the world other than her son, um, it, it's kind of a lot harder to come back from than, you know, I guess someone being unpleasant to, you know, one's father at the restaurant. It's a little bit different and I wanted to show that.
1: And I wonder if Henry's mother, being a woman, makes the the community's reaction worse somehow. Like, um, I'm trying to remember. I think one's mom's was or one's dad was making a comment about how she was a failure as a mother, and instead of responding to her difficulties with sympathy, she was put down as a failure and
2: shameful. I I don't know if you've ever seen this before in your own sort of like family background, but often people will say about um, you know people who are, uh, you know, suffering mental health issues, or she's a bad mother, or she wasn't brought up properly. And so for us, like I, when I was actually writing the, um, the answers to the sort of teacher's notes that Alan and I were preparing, they talked about suicide as if it was just a mental health issue. And I was kind of saying, well, um, the whole reaction to the suicide in this book, it's not just about mental health, it's almost about shame. It's about, you've brought shame down on people. It's more than, you know, she actually had problems that she couldn't deal with. It's like, she wasn't brought up properly. Um, She's embarrassing her family. She's kind of like bringing her name into ill repute. So for us, I think like from an Asian background, there's this added element of, if you can't manage and you can't cope and you're not successful, you're also a shameful person who hasn't been raised in the proper way. So I tried to talk about that as well, I think in a really mm-hmm. subtle way, and I think a lot of Asian readers have really picked up on that shame element, whereas other yeah. people have just said suicide you know equals you know the after effects of depression, but there's this whole other thing of my life didn't turn out the way I wanted, so there's there's that added element to it as well
1: mm. yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely relate to that interestingly in the lead up to this interview as we were preparing the questions. My mom, so I'm of Indonesian background. So my family mm-hmm. still in Indonesia. She told me that a neighbor uh, completed suicide. Oh, we didn't, right. yeah, we didn't know this
2: person, but but everyone knows everyone. That's the thing. It's yeah. such a small place, right? So yeah, that's
1: right. And it sort of unfolded the same way as in your story. You know, the child discovered the um the parent, and I thought it was interesting because you know we were obviously sympathizing with the parent but there was a bit of that reaction of like how could you do that to your child and
2: yeah and now that child will be marked forever and will never be a proper child right yeah so Yeah. yeah there's that element as well which i think um i mean it has a particular cultural aspect to it that maybe you know when you talk about youth suicide in australia or sort of you know female suicide or male suicide there's not that element of your particular act is going to mark everyone for generations around you and everyone's going to talk about it forever as a test Mm. case. You know, don't do that. Don't be like that person because, you know, it's going to bring shame to everyone. So that's one thing I really wanted to interrogate because I don't think when we read sort of YA novels or middle grade novels about, you know, people dying, there's not that added element of, well, they've not only done that to themselves, but they've done it to everyone around them.
0: Mm. And I think that really speaks to how, at least in the Australian sort of mental health and suicide prevention space, there is still this dominant narrative of um, this kind of individualistic approach to suicide as well. Mm -hmm. And there is an increase, I suppose, uh, in awareness and, and programs and so on that are talking more about the ripple effect on
2: communities. But the space is still very white, (laughs) at least in the dominant discourse. There isn't that sort of extra nuance and that extra discussion of, you know, what are the ramifications for the child or the sibling or the parents or the whatever, and and how do we support those people?
0: Yeah. Speaking of the emotions behind the story, we both found Tiger Daughter to be a very emotional story in terms of the reading experience itself. I know for myself, uh, I read it in less than 24 hours, which is rare for me these days as an adult reader. No, with have a no time. <laughs> know, that's a thing. Do,
2: you, do you sort of work or do you read or do you, you know watch something? Because there's very little like spare time.
0: Basically. Yeah, exactly. But um, this this was the, a book that really uh, caught me in, in the feels, um, to put it bluntly. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, uh, was this an emotional... Um, emotional book to write um, or were the emotional parts of the book
2: difficult to write for you? It was super emotional to write because, I mean, I'm sort of well known as a fantasy writer. So I literally, you know, have people with superpowers who can set other people on fire, right? So like (laughs) not, I mean, not that I'm saying that they're shallow, but the books don't have a great psychological depth to them because they're action adventure type things, right? But for this one, because I was so angry, and because it was such a personal thing and I've drawn in, I mean, it's not autobiographical because people often write to me and go, oh, I'm so sorry, your childhood sounds terrible. And I'm like, no, 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 that was not my childhood. I mean, there's elements of it, but it's not, that was not my childhood, right? But um, like sort of dealing with things that had happened to me, like for example, the bit where, um, when at the start of the book says, like, her father just burnt everything because he was unhappy with her. Like, that happened to me. So, um, you know, stuff like that, working through it is like, that was really wrong, right? Like, you know, writing it down, you just kind of think, would I ever do that to my children? No, I wouldn't. That's not yeah. normal. So, you know, that kind of stuff, like working through little incidents like that, you kind of think about it as an adult and go, How would I have done that if I was feeling so furious and so powerless about something my child had done? What would I have done instead? So that was really hard to kind of, you know, reassess all that kind of stuff. But also just dealing with, you know, like what the aftermath of a suicide would sort of do to a a growing kid. Like, you know, a kid already, who doesn't have many prospects and doesn't have Mm -hmm. many ways out, has lost, you know, one of his last emotional support. Even if I go back now and look at the storyline, there's one scene where I tear up. I wrote it so you know like there's it's just weird because like just that one scene I always tear up and I think it's because like I just kind of think if if my child was not in that position what would they do or what support would they have and so that always makes me really sad and so yeah it, it, it was hard to write because ordinarily I'm just having gleeful fun just throwing crazy shiz into my stories but this was like very real very small canvas you know quite realistic um you know, quite a narrow kind of arc. And you look at it and you think, well, the journeys that these people go on, they're not that big. But for them inside the story, the journeys are massive.
1: And I think Gwen's mom's story arc is actually a great example of that. That You know, from the outside, it might look like a small step, but for her to,
2: yeah, to actually sort of push back is enormous. I mean, that's the thing. Like I tried, because when you say it to someone, like I remember I was talking to somebody else in an interview and I said, it doesn't look like anything on paper. Woman doesn't have a job. Woman gets a job at a chemist, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't look like anything but for her to get from point a to point b is this massive massive terrifying leap
0: yeah
1: absolutely i didn't know how to word this as a question but can we talk about (laughs) the cultural impact on you know of one's dad's background on his outlook on life or you know his mental health and his parenting i suppose of when because it made me my my dad wasn't like him but there were elements of it because when I was growing up, he used to make this joke about how um, if he died and we went to a medium or something, a Chinese medium and asked, you know, about him, the medium would say he has no, he had no children because he only had
2: daughters. Well, that's a heavy joke. That's awful. Yeah, yeah no, no. And it's the same with me because my father only had mm-hmm. three three girls only mm-hmm. had three girls so you see how am people doing it now I'm internalizing it but um the you know like I've caught like my cousin actually came to me my cousin is in his 40s came to me the other day and said your father took me aside at a party and said make sure you raise your children properly right so it's because he's got a male you know progeny and I never mm-hmm. did well sorry I do but you know I'm not my son doesn't have the same surname as my dad and so he's yeah. gone to you know the a cousin with the same surname and said, "Make sure you raise this boy yeah. properly." So that kind of stuff still happens a lot, and yeah, it's really difficult because, like, I mean, when you try and tell kids that the backbone of this story is a critique of Confucian philosophy and all mm-hmm. the you know patriarchy and all the kind of misogynistic stuff that is in between all of the words in there, um, their eyes just glaze over and roll back in their heads because they're just like, "I'm not ready for the Chinese philosophy right right now." Yeah. <laughs> so, That character of Wen's dad is really, he's a distillation of, you know, if I was going to raise my child in a strictly Confucian way and the child already is failing because she's not a boy, right, Mm -hmm. how would that look? And so he's kind of like a paradigm of if you follow the Confucian tenets, which have, you know, basically no room for women in them anywhere, Wen's dad is kind of an example of how that can run up against, you know, more progressive thinking and a different sort of cultural background.
1: Yeah. No, I just, I think going back to what you said before, he is the, the baddie of the story, but there's, there is so much nuance to him.
2: It's He's human. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if yeah. someone's going to be unkind to the dad in a workplace setting, where's, where's all that angst and anger going to go? If you've got nowhere to, you know, spill it onto, it's your family.
1: You've previously said, tag your daughter, asks readers, you know, readers who have never been told, go back to where you come from and never will, to think about what it would be like to be marginalized for more reasons than being female. What would you like readers from different genders and cultural backgrounds to take away from this book?
2: What I wanted to say to them was, you know, people do recognize you kids, like people do see you because... Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll go to a school library and speak to people and, you know, librarians are the, mm. lo- the loveliest people in the world but they don't necessarily see that, the, you know, the audience that they're, you know, lending the books to may not necessarily be the same as, you know, the books that they're pushing to them. And so um, what I want to say to my grandkids is I, as an author, see you. I see you in your two spheres of influence, your home life, which is completely different from your public life at school. And I recognize that you have difficulties and I recognize that you're trying to walk in two different worlds and that they're quite sort of, you know, sometimes not congruent at all. Um, And so, like, what I want to say to migrant kids is don't accept that box that people have sort of laid out for you. Push back as much as you can. Like, one pushes back in really small ways, but it has a big outcome.
0: Yeah, lovely. And I imagine that's what a lot of readers will be taking away from this book. And I do hope it ends up on more curriculums because we clearly need more, more diverse and, you know, bigger, better representation than what is currently being seen
2: on these middle grade curriculums at the moment. I mean, that's the hope, you know, like I'm hoping that one day in 30 years' time someone goes, can someone get that book off the book list? I'm so sick of seeing it. Can we have something new, please? I mean, that's the dream, right? But, I mean, you know, hopefully one day. And I mean, this is a hilarious thing. Um, I don't think Alice will mind me saying this, right, but um, there was a review recently um, for Tiger Daughter which said Alice Pong wrote a really authentic novel. And so, you know, what I want people to take from this is, it shouldn't be an Australian publishing landscape where there's one Alice and there's one Rebecca and they get mixed up. You know, there should be authors from everywhere writing about everything and people should be able to access whatever they want, whenever they want, in as much rich detail as they want. So, you know, like that—that it's still, the fact that I've been writing for 20 years and a book like this is seen as different and new is really disturbing to me.
0: And I think uh, this leads in nicely with our final question for the interview today which is do you have any author or book recommendations that you would like to share with our listeners
2: um I just recently I mean I think I've been reading lots of stuff that's just made me absolutely ball lately but um Nova Wheatman's The Jammer is beautiful because that's about grief and about loss and how you come back from that and you know what's the shape of your family after someone is gone and how do you sort of move forward from that. Um, I've also just read Emily Gale's The Goodbye Year, which is like one of the first middle grade novels in this country to actually sort of consider what did COVID do to us, you know, how did it affect kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, I mean, this has made me cry buckets over the last few um, weeks, but my friend Gabrielle Williams, who was a YA author in Australia, she just passed away suddenly and so I'm rereading all of her back catalogue, you know, the Reluctant Hallelujah uh, it's not you, it's me. So she was just a brilliant, really funny, really sort of complex plotter of you know YA kind of like contemporary with a time slip kind of humorous overlay to them. So I'm just rereading all her books now, just feeling so sad that I won't get any more books from her in the future.
0: It does sound like it's been an emotional uh, couple of months of reading for you. Um, I will note that I read The Jammer, I think, right after I read Tiger Daughter
2: and did you cry buckets (laughs) as well
0: uh let's just say that was a very emotional reading week for me as well (laughs) i I just yeah two novels about about grief and family and yeah Yeah, beautiful beautiful book okay well i think i think that wraps up all of our questions for today so thank you so much rebecca for joining us no worries Thank you so much for listening to our review today and if you like us please leave us a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts find
1: us on novelfeelings.com or on instagram twitter the StoryGraph, and goodreads novel underscore feelings and for your usual bookstagram update my bookshelves have arrived. Woohoo! <laughs> so that means that I'll be picking up my books off the floor at some stage and putting them on the bookshelves, and then I can actually take photos again. And if you would like to watch that space, my Bookstagram is at paved with an extra S at the end.
0: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope you can tune in in May for our next review episode. Take care. See you then. Bye.